Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to my Millennial Answers. I'm Glenn James. And today on this little special edition, we've got Sean Wellman from Wellman Finance. Hey, Sean, how are you? G'day, Glenn. You may have heard Sean's business or brand. You actually support the My Millennial Property podcast. So, thank you so much for getting behind what we're doing over there on that little podcast. Oh, it's been great to be involved. I tune in and listen to, and uh, I know you've got a lot of listeners as well, but the questions that you and John throw about and answer and are questions we get asked regularly. Yeah. So, anyone that can, you know, I'm driving to work or jumping on the train can jump on the podcast. When those people come and see us, they're, they're sort of two or three steps ahead of someone who hasn't gone through that education process. So, it's, it's literally money in the bank, all that knowledge it helps people move forward with the purchasing a property yeah and i'm a bit nervous to know that you actually listen to it because sometimes when we do your shout outs they get pretty wild yeah there's uh i i must have you ever heard of reverse advertising (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've got a word to pidge you sort of go "Mm, not always yeah (laughs) so come on pidge we're good mates yeah it's pretty funny so yeah if you haven't listened to my millennial property jump over it's its own podcast wherever you're listening to this one and that is supported by wellman finance and sean is a great mortgage broker and a friend of the show and he can help anyone face to face if you're in melbourne or wherever you are in australia and you've helped so many of our listeners so thank you so much because we just need people that we can trust who aren't wallies to help yep. our listeners so thank you so uh, it's much been, it's seriously been unreal i've been blown away by some of the people i've got to meet and just how motivated they are. I mm. mean, anyone that listens to a podcast, and I've, I've said this before, they're self-starters, they want to improve, they want to get ahead. I really love working with people who are motivated. And dialed and, in. And, and self-starters and, you know, actually want to set some goals and get somewhere in life. It's just great to work alongside those people. Yeah, and even a shout-out to one of our listeners, Ryan O'Sullivan, who emailed me this morning. And always, like, if you connect with somebody that you've heard through our podcast, just email me, glenn.james at sortyourmoneyout.com and tell me how the experience was because good or bad, I need to know because if 15 people said, well, he's a dickhead and we don't like him, well, he's not going to (laughs) be supporting our show anymore. Don't send me those ones, please. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Ryan said, hi, Glenn, I met with Sean in Melbourne last week. What a great person with great ideas. Together, we spoke about my goals and what needs to be done to achieve them for myself to purchase my first investment property within the next 12 months. Now, we're going to be answering... So, thanks, Ryan, for sending that feedback. But, Sean, we're actually going to be answering a heap of questions today. And it's interesting, like, before we press record, we were talking about the online lenders, okay, that just deal online, okay, which there might be a bee's sting away from 
like in terms of difference in terms of rate, like not a huge much, but this is the difference like with using a mortgage broker. Together we spoke about my goals and what needs to be done to achieve them for myself to purchase my first investment property within the next 12 months. You're not getting that from an online internet website. No, that's right. I mean, a mortgage broker is really someone I think is, it's a relationship and it's someone who advises you on your journey. So you look at the, what do you want to do short term, medium term, long term, and everything's set up because everyone's different, got different goals. So the education process is, particularly when you're buying your first home, is so important because it sets you up. Or first investment property. Invest, absolutely. Trying to rent vest or whatnot. Yeah, which is interesting. A lot of first home buyers or first purchases are going down that path more and more now. They're looking at their lifestyle and they say, well, I can't really afford to buy something close to work. So I'm going to stay living, house sharing, living with my parents, whatever it is. And I'm going to enter the market as an investment. Mm. And it's interesting, like it goes back to, yeah, sure. You can go to www.onlinebank.com.au and get a really quote-unquote better interest rate and it might be 0.1% and so bugger all, right? But what if you did get that mortgage through that online lender without the structuring advice to your situation? It could actually cost you thousands of dollars with tax implications later on. Most of us mortgage brokers, we've got access to a lot of different products anyway. So the rate's really not that different. But I find when people are borrowing large sums of money, it's a massive step for the first time they want to speak to someone face-to-face. They want to have a relationship rather than talk to someone on the phone and not have getting that advice because yeah. it is a big step. It's interesting. I would also like, let's just air the dirty laundry of the episode before we get into the deep questions. Number one, we've had some feedback probably on the, I think we did a survey or someone emailed me like, oh, why are you so for mortgage brokers? I'm like, well, until someone tells me a reason not to promote using a mortgage broker, like a solid, decent reasons, I'm going to continue to promote mortgage brokers. (laughs) It's as simple as that because I personally use one. John personally uses you, Sean. So just for the 1% of people listening, they might have a problem with why we talk about mortgage brokers. It's because they give you more options and there's no difference out-of-pocket cost. The second thing, and I'll get straight into the questions if we're airing negative laundry, There's a question here on Instagram. How do you know when to drop a broker and to find a better one? Drop a broker. Drop a broker. Heartbreak. Boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, Well, I think everyone's got different expectations. So That's even with relationships. Well, that's correct. (laughs) Exactly. So I guess you've got to go in it with an open mind, but we don't pretend to be anything we're not. So we focus on education, getting back to people quickly, as quick as possible, because people don't want to sit there waiting for weeks and weeks also giving them the right advice so for example someone might not be ready to buy for six or 12 months they need to know but to to actually have a plan so i'd I'd actually just get them to be up front with a broker and say well you know this is i'm disappointed this is not happening why is this not happening yeah and then and then if they don't respond maybe it's time to move on maybe it's time to move on yeah i would like if i was answering that i'd probably say yeah if expectations aren't managed well there can be disconnect or if for example that broker you know if i've got a a little five hundred thousand dollar mortgage on my home and that broker decides to want to work in a market you know with five million dollar mortgages and doesn't have time for little glennie anymore that means that their service to me might drop so again if they're not getting back to me within a decent amount of time or don't have time for me and i'm only a little fish to them or whatever that is yeah i would certainly give them the first right of refusal almost like hey 
do you want me as a client? Am I your ideal client mm. anymore? But I think another one, Welly, is as our investing journey goes on, like you yourself are a property investor and you've got lots of practical experience. Now, if I had a mortgage broker who perhaps only did residential bread and butter, okay, and then I needed to move into more complex lending, so maybe self-managed super fund, yep. maybe entities lending money or commercial deals or something that's more complex, I might outgrow my current broker. But I certainly would be always going back to your current broker and be just clear with the communications. And it's not a shakedown. It's not having a go. It's like, hey, is this something you can do? If not, can you help me introduce me to somebody who can do it? But I think just on a human level, we just have to treat people how we want to be treated. That's right. And I think I personally, one of the things I really dislike if I'm seeing an accountant or financial planner or something is initially when you go to see them, you have the relationship generally with the business owner. And then over a period of time, that business may grow and then suddenly you get palmed off to someone that... Just has a J-O-B. Correct. And you don't have the same relationship. So we've tried to set our business up to say that if you come and have the relationship with me, I'm, I'm the person that does all the front end. We have back end support, absolutely. You know, And if that's just staff, good business. Which is, which is awesome staff. But in terms of the interaction, front of mind for me is that people will talk to me pick up the phone and that and they won't suddenly get palmed off to a junior or an offsider or whatever. So that's where I would leave an accounting firm or something like that if suddenly they palm me off without any communication and suddenly I'm dealing with someone else that I didn't have the existing relationship with. That can be a frustration. Yeah, and I think like in my own life, so my optometrist who I go to is a business owner who owns the business. My dentist is the business owner. My accountant, my GP, all these key relationships. Your psychiatrist? Yes. Psychologist, Sean. Psychologist. <laughs> yeah, like self-employed. All the key relationships in my life where possible, my lawyer, who else do I've got? You have a good I, network. Because I know the and on the My Millennial Property, we changed the name, didn't tell you. We're changing it to My Millennial Property, not My Millennial Money Property. <laughs> Okay. I thought so, it was called My Millennial Property, so... <laughs> Just thought I'd run that past our okay. key show partner, yep. if that's all right. Yeah. No, uh, I, I approved. Yeah. So, for me, I always know, and one thing we did talk about on that is dealing with Sean Wellman, you've been in Melbourne forever, you used to play for the Essendon. <laughs> You're about to say the Sydney Swans. I know, I always <laughs> that's get... That's the only other yeah, AFL team that you know. Yeah, basically. So, you've got a name and a reputation. So, you want to manage that reputation as best as possible. So, if I'm a client of yours, this is the deal. And wherever you are in Australia with whatever professional you use, maybe that is a question. Do you own the business? I, I think that's important. Um, not to say but that there's, not, there's, there's, there's some great people working that don't own the business. Yeah, and I've, I've got those relationships yeah, as well. My skin in the game is important, I think. Yep. My pharmacist owns the business. Shout out, Amy. Um, so, yeah. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to open Instagram again. And we're going to run through these questions. And I haven't seen these questions in either of you. Okay, Travelling and Investing asks, how come some brokers can lend on behalf of banks but others can't? Yeah, that's... I, a, that's I don't understand yeah, that question. Yeah, so the, the short answer is all brokers, we, we operate through an, an aggregator who basically sits between the bank and the mortgage broker and different aggregators have access to different products for their... They're generally the same, so I would say 90% of the products that a mortgage broker offers are the same and then your aggregator will have 10% of white label products where they'll deal directly with different banks so yeah that's the main 
but the main for example, difference. you being a straight up human and citizen, like if you had a client and they had this weird circumstance and you knew that, oh, this CBA mortgage is probably what you need, but I don't have authority to do CBA loans. I think you should go and speak to a broker or go to CBA direct. In that instance, you would actually call that out. Yeah, absolutely. And so that... I mean, yeah. that's a very unique show. And CBA is on your yeah. panel, I trust. Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're on every panel. Yeah. But what will happen is sometimes a client will come to us and they'll be with a bank, a smaller bank or lender that won't, won't be on our panel. So often they'll come and say, well, what is our rate like and everything like that? And if they're on a pretty good rate, and they're not on your panel, then you just advise them and say, well, no, that's you get, you're getting pretty well looked after. We get people like someone who's dissatisfied with another mortgage broker and they've got recommended a product. So often we'll do our little ticks and crosses with other brokers. So they'll come to us, compare and say, what's this like? Often we'll go back and say, no, that's a good product and you're getting the right advice and you're getting looked after. Mm. And, and sometimes we'll say, well, no, I think there's a better product and a better structure. Have you thought about this? So it's not all about, always about just winning the business. It's being honest with people and that builds trust. Yeah. They go back and say, well, I'm getting the right advice. And just on that human level, like I did want to mention this at the start, but I forgot, like you're happy to have a, a decent chat, coffee or whatever with anyone who's interested in getting a mortgage, right? I love a whiteboard. You love a whiteboard? It's from my coaching days. Yeah. Get the, get the get the whiteboard in this office and uh, have a scribble. You can't really read anything by the end of yeah. it. But yeah, Mr. Squiggle. And, and people are very visual as well. Like mm. it's amazing. You just be talking about it and they'll give you that blank, that day stare. It's like, you're not getting this, are you? I'm just not, I'm, mm. I'm speaking another language. Yep. And we okay. draw it another way. We'll get the whiteboard yeah. up. You draw it up, explain it, go through it. It becomes clear. And it's amazing how the process becomes so much more easier. Mm. I mean, if you actually understand the numbers and how it all works and you actually take a big deep breath and say, oh, actually now I get it. So it could, should be an enjoyable process buying your first property. Yeah. Sometimes the finance, not understanding it, all the numbers and stuff can actually stop that and enjoyment. I will say back to that human level, like you might do that big whiteboard session with somebody, right? And I'm, I'm not even talking on behalf of Sean. I'm talking on behalf of all the mortgage brokers. I'm talking on behalf of all the financial advisors. I'm talking on behalf of all the fridge salespeople. I'm talking, if someone sows in time to you and you go away and you're not ready to buy, I think as a courtesy, even if it's six or 12 months later, go back to that individual because they have actually invested time. And this is why I think we're starting to see different companies and brokers doing commitment fees and whatnot just because people waste so much time and people don't respect that time. So just from Glenn to you listening, just respect a professional's time and anyone that we talk about that I refer people to, they're happy to have a a 15-minute chat just to, you know, let you know the process and which way the wind's blowing. But please, if you are using someone's time and it's valuable time and you're getting lots of gold, provided they're not an arrogant a-hole, you know, go back to them six months later, go back to them 12 months later and, and give them the business that they deserve from you because they've invested that time. Yeah. And uh, that's your own personal values, isn't it? A, a little bit as well. So, it is. And I think I, most, I would most say, people will generally come back. Yeah. But the, the only caveat is if mm. on a human level, like you actually don't vibe that person because we don't get along with everyone organically. Like someone might think like Ryan, who I just read his email, he thought you were bloody the goat of mortgage broking, right? Where someone else might go, oh, he's a bit uptight and 
That's stiff. right. Yeah, so, you're not going to get on with everyone, and, no. you, and you're not. You can't be everything to everyone as well. So yeah. it's got a and, and a lot of people too now, and we've spoken about this before. Are actually, they're not just going to see one mortgage broker, and mm. that's fine. Yeah. I mean, because and and you talked about. You know what is a mortgage broker? Well, go go directly to a bank as well. Yeah, like actually compare the market yourself. Let your feet do the do the talking, and uh, actually speak to a few different mm-hmm. people, and then you'll you'll find the right person. Danielle Gowan has a good question here, Sean, and it's an interesting one that we do need to discuss. What checks can you do to make sure mortgage brokers are offering a good deal, not just throwing everybody in high commission lenders? To be perfectly frank, I wouldn't even know the difference between upfronts and trail commissions for different lenders. But if, when, when you're comparing four or five different products, ask the question, what are the commissions offering yeah. on those products? Just be, be transparent, be upfront, and any concerns, put it out there. Yeah. And most lenders, the, the commissions are pretty much exactly the same. So there's no incentive, and there shouldn't be, to go to one lender mm. over another. But ask the question. And particularly those in life, getting life and income insurances and all that through an advisor, it's actually legislated that it's the same rates yep. everywhere. Mm. So and I they're think, not going I to think be putting it, you with one to get yeah. an extra little bit of money. So. I think the commissions five, ten years ago could have been quite different, but now they're actually becoming very, very similar. Mm. And uh, yep. Shell asks, I recently rented out my property. Should I now consider a different investment loan? If you're renting it out, depending on your circumstances, the main difference is whether you want to pay principal interest, pay the debt down, or just pay interest only and keep a larger cash buffer, maximise the taxation benefit. And that'll depend on what you want to do with your next year. So if you're looking, if you've got an investment property and you're saving for a, a new property, I'd convert it to an interest only loan, get the taxation benefits, negative gearing, a lot of, a lot of stuff's positively geared now. And then you're going to have your repayments will be less can throw the money into an offset account and that's your your next deposit Mm. so it's really dependent on what your next move wants to be in property depending will determine what you do with that investment property and how you structure that loan yeah and i think it's important it goes back to on your first purchase have a little bit of a strategy in mind shell might not have always intended to move out and turn it into an investment property but for me personally where i live that mortgage is structured so when i do move out it's an investment property and I don't have to tweak the structure. So you have an offset account yep. probably set up. You're not paying the loan down, but you're putting all your money into an offset yeah. account. Well, actually weird. I actually, um, and again, everyone's situation is different. I pay P&I on all my loans, mm. investment and where I live. Yep. And the only reason why is I've got the surplus cash to do so. Yep. And... For me, it's forced equity building. And you can always take that equity and, always... and one of the benefits of principal and interest is the rates are lower. That's right. So and that's another factor so you as weigh well. So you weigh up the taxation benefit of having interest on versus how much you're going to save. And a lot of people actually say, oh, you know, oh, no, my, my property's positively geared. It's like, yeah. well, you can't go broke making a profit. So no, that's right. If that property is looking after itself and putting some money in your pocket and you've got to pay a little bit of tax, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's becoming more and more common now because of low interest rates. Absolutely. It's Brie, that's her username. Following on from that, she asks, can you choose an investment-only loan for a principal place of residence as opposed to just an investment property? So I think talk to us about you're buying your first home to live in for a couple of years and then you might leapfrog and move out of that and turn it into an investment property could Bree just pay interest only while she's living in that yes she could so what Bree's talking about is 
yes, you could keep it interest only and then you don't pay the debt down. So when you go and convert it to an investment, you've got the full debt to use as a taxation negative gearing. So you can claim the interest on the full amount. If you pay it down, obviously the uh, interest you can claim is a little bit less. However, banks aren't huge fans of owner-occupied interest-only loans because if you're living in the property, they say you should be paying down debt because there's no taxation benefit. So that's why they'll put a bit of an interest rate margin. So the interest rate will be higher on an interest-only occupied owner-occupied loan. And that's a risk play on the banks, I would imagine. Yeah, and that's a bit of an APRA because what was happening in Australia is that people's household debt was going up because a lot of people had interest-only owner-occupied loans and the rates are exactly the same as principal and interest. So as a deterrent, they didn't want the banks holding too many interest-only owner-occupied loans, so they put up the rates, and that made people say, well, I'm probably better off paying principal and interest. So again, what you would do is weigh up the rate. There's nothing wrong with paying off some principal, though, initially, because you can always take some equity out later on. And if you're saving half a percent, or whatever it is, there might be a significant saving for that 12 months where you're living in the property. And... I just want to camp on that bit. So, if over the course of 10 years, I did principal and interest, and I'll just randomly say there was $50,000 of principal that I pumped into that property, okay? Now, if I move out of that home that I was living in, or I bought a new home and kept that as my investment property, the law says if I... I take that $50,000 and redraw it and put it into my home and then claim that on tax over in the corner over there, that's tax evasion. Because, yeah, yeah so this, is, this goes to, we've got to structure our loans well. However, a good mortgage broker might be able to use that property as security for the new property as opposed to ripping the cash out and therefore breaking the law. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. Yep. Like, he's, talk to us around that type of strategy. If we're leapfrogging properties, well, how would you structure firstly, it? Firstly, I would most likely. And I'm not it, a mortgage broker, so I don't even know if that made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I personally don't like cross securing properties. I like because it can get a little bit messy and you can end up being with the same, uh, you know. So, cross securing is when you put one, you secure a loan with more than one property. Whereas, we like to take equity out of one property, use it for the other property, but every loan is secured by one property. And then you can really measure that property's performance, where the debt is. The, the, the different strategy there is if you didn't pay the debt down, you put all the money in the offset account. Then you can and move then you the can, money you can out move of the offset the account. Offset account, there's your deposit, and then you've got the, the loan is actually $50,000 higher, which is all fully tax-deductible debt. Because yes. as soon as you pay it down... You can't redraw on and redraw on it as an investment and claim that as a tax deduction. And I will say it was a half-loaded question to get to the point with the using um, security against multiple properties. A lazy mortgage broker might put in one application for all three properties. Yeah. Where a switched-on broker who wants to quarantine the property so they kind of stand up in their own right. That's right. That's three applications. Exactly. It's a lot it's, more it's, work. It's a lot more work, but it's a lot cleaner and your accountant will love a mortgage broker who does that because you go, here's the debt and it's really simple to do your taxes because this is the loan against this property. We took some equity out to use for this property and it just becomes a lot simpler, the, the structure. And you're not ingrained and tied to that bank as well totally. because you can move one property, refinance and leave one with a different bank. If you're all cross-secured, you have to move all loans mm. to another bank. So my current portfolio of properties, it's all with the one lender at the moment. 
and there's they standalone properties. However, like the next property, I'm going to a different lender just to why is that risk management on my behalf. So, for example, there's things in mortgage documents, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're the professional, <laughs> that a bank can call in the loans. A bank can say, hey, everyone, pay back the loans. We've got a GFC, there's a crisis or whatever we're getting out of lending market. Everyone give us the money back, okay? Which could royally screw you. So I'm just going, well, I've got a million dollars worth of debt at the moment with St. George. Next time, I'll be using a different bank. And as well, just so they don't, we can paint the picture of where I'm at now and why I'm at here now, rather than going back to St. George and saying, we want another property his circumstances change, but they already know all my story and my backstory. Yeah, that's right. Like, mm. so am I crazy or is that something you'd consider? Do you consider no, th- thresholds at like, yeah, about a million and a half, two mil, depending where you are with the one lender just to manage risk? Depends on your profile a little bit too, I would say. And like if you've mine's got, not bread and butter. No, I no, work and get yeah. 300 grand a year from the government. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, the way the bank will recall a loan is if your equity position and, you know, the, the property becomes worth less. And I know you and John did a, did an episode on this um, recently. Yeah, that was a while, uh, wasn't then, it? And then, and then if you're not making your repayments, obviously. So just uh, on that, Sean, mm-hmm. if, you, if you are listening to this, go and have a listen to My Millennial Money Property. And there's an episode with, in the title that's like the house is worth 200 grand less than what? I think it was a mining town. A mining town, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wild. Yeah. yeah, but I treat every transaction as a separate transaction. So personally, if it fits better at St. George for their policy, with their interest rate, then I wouldn't be adverse to going down that path again. However, if there's different lenders that are more competitive, then I would go with that. And I guess different bank. The, at the end of the day, I will also be guided by the broker. Like if he or she says, look, yeah, understand, but to be honest, their policies at the moment, it's a shoe in you'll get the money easy. The things that yeah. you're worrying about is not an issue. And I'm thinking... Oh, yeah, they're a top four or whatever. It's the risk is That's minor, like, so. and, and people, there's so much information out there too now. So someone will come to us and say, oh, ING have got this rate. It's fantastic. Yes, their rates are fantastic under 80%. Exactly. Over 80%, not very good. Also ING, really good bank, bread and butter bank for owner-occupied. Serviceability really tight. Yep. So you can't borrow as much money with an ING. Self-employed, some banks will need just your last 12 months. So if you've got a growing business... They'll just look at your last year's performance, whereas most banks will average it out over the last two years and they'll Mm. use the lowest figure if there's a differential of 25%. So every person's working circumstances is different. And also, so for example, a bank for my business, when I started the business to do my lending, was a bank that just looked at my last 12 months financials because I've got a growing business. Exactly. So that's going to facilitate what I'm doing now, but also in three, four, five years time because... I'm not a big fan of refinancing everyone every two or three oh, years. You're better off going back ass. to your bank. Yeah. But also, it's got to have a really advantageous policy that fits in with your working life. So if you've got a growing business, a bank that does your last 12 months financials like a CBA or an ANZ, there's a couple or more, is, a, is actually a good lender, got some good rates. Whereas if you haven't, you just you know, PAYG, get pay slips and you've got really good serviceability, then an ING might be the perfect bank for you. But there's Mm. so many different circumstances that go into choosing the right lender for you. And this is, it goes back to at the start when we were talking about, I can save 0.1% by going direct online. They're not going to give you all this information because it's online, it's automated, there's no people involved. You're just another case in the system. So... Again, if you can tell me why not to use a mortgage broker, 
I'll, uh, yeah, that, oh, that's exactly right. I'll and totally consider that. Yeah, it's, the mortgage broker really packages it up and, and tells, tells your story to the bank and to the lender. Yeah, you've got and to that, control that, the that, narrative. Correct, and that's our job to say this is their circumstances and then speak to an assessor, have a conversation and actually, you know, so they understand your circumstances. And an example of controlling the narrative, it's not another nice way of saying breaking the law to get around responsible lending. It's, for example... I had a loss in the business three months of the last 12 months because I took a holiday overseas, right? If you went direct, you might tell the bank that, oh, the reason why it's that is you're setting off alarms where, well, you might say, no, no, just give us the last three years of financials. We'll gift wrap it up. They'll average it out. We don't even have to tell them. Like that's an example about we're not lying, but we're just controlling the narrative and not highlighting things that you think are a big deal when we can just submit it another way so it isn't a big deal. Yeah, for us, it's more about like policies are not black and white. So I'll give you an example. We had a um, client who came through My Millennial Money. She was a hairdresser. She started a, her business on the side and was just doing a little bit of little bit of work. So she, effectively, she'd only had her last 12 months financials. She'd really only been working for sort of seven months within that period. She'd had her ABN registered for a few years, which was fine, But she and she was working as a sole trader, so uh, with an ABN. And most lenders under policy would not accept her income because she needs to be self-employed for a minimum of two years. Yeah, so which the, is what we tell people yeah, usually. Yeah. yeah. So what we did is she's been a hairdresser for four or five years. She's got PAYG income. So we presented a case to say she's got a history in the industry. She started her business. We gave the 2019 tax returns, but we also gave interim 2020 to show how her business was performing in the current year. And the bank and lender looked at that. She went in with her, her partner, who was um, PAYG, and the bank said, no, we can see here that she's got a growing business. She's been in the industry. We're only using the smaller income from 19. We're not using the – and we're happy to accept that income. They were subject to finance. We got it approved, and that was a great result where if you just looked at the policy – you would have said, no, nah, sorry, come back in a year and a half. But I spoke to the bank and said, this is the circumstance. They said, no, we, well, I think there's some leeway there based on the situation. That allowed them to get in the market and purchase a property probably 12 or 18 months before they actually thought it was possible. Wow. So that, that's a fantastic result. That's it doesn't always, doesn't always work out that way. And we actually, with that one, we actually lodged it with a different lender, got declined. I thought we were going to get approved and we had to go through a different lender. And it was a. It ended up being a major bank at a really good rate, mm. um, and uh, so that is an example of okay. If you just go online, with, you've got no chance of getting an mm. approved because someone's just going to look at it and go black and white policy. No. Yeah. Wow. So, Sean, I've got a question here from one of your clients in our Facebook group, Peter Fullerton. Yep. Hello, Peter. Hello, Peter. G'day, Peter. How are you? Uh, he says, "Hi, Glenn. John, can you please do an episode around building a home to live in or invest?" both house and land package and buying a block and choosing your own builder. Yeah. We have sought a block and we'll be sourcing our own builder, the block titles in July. So he just wants to know yeah. your thoughts there. So what's the process of house and land, not as in a traditional package with an mm. estate that has... Yeah, so two separate contracts. So you yes. buy the land, you basically buy the land and the land settles first and then... During that process, you choose a builder and what house you're going to build, and that's a separate fixed-price building contract. So that's structured as two different loans. The The first loan is the land which settles first, which is just one. So if it's a $200,000 uh, land, for example, and you borrow 80%, then you'll have a $160,000 land loan. 
And then the construction loan works where you provide the building contract, all the plans and permits and all these documents that we request, and the bank does a valuation as if the build's already complete. So they look at the land, they look at the, the house contract, and they give you a valuation based on what they think it's going to be worth once it's complete, and then you lend against the as-if complete valuation. The good thing about a, a construction loan is it's the same as owner-occupied rate, so it's you know, low 3%, but it starts at you don't pay on the full balance, you pay on the work completed. So, for example, a build has got generally five stages. You the deposit, the, they pour the slab, they put up the frame, they have the lock-up and where they were the windows, and then they have the completion where you look, look at the property. So, for example, if you're borrowing $300,000 to build, you may pay the 5% deposit yourself, and then the funding, you'll get an invoice from the builder. He's poured the slab for, say, 50000 Your loan goes from zero to 50000 Then the frame goes up, and then it might go from fifty to hundred and twenty, and that goes up yeah, to... Yeah, so the loan draws yeah, down correct. as per the stages. And you're only paying... And it's important you're only paying on work completed because often when you're building a house, you've also got a rental expense. Absolutely. Because you have to live somewhere. Now, on this, a couple of things... The builder has to be a legitimate business. It can't be Uncle Bruce who, oh, I was a builder five years ago, but now I drive Uber. So, yeah, I can do it for you on the weekend. Like, there's got to be some requirements and particularly the owner builder. Yeah, the owner builders are, are really tough where, you know, if, if you're building your own house, that can be quite difficult. So, generally, a registered builder and you need a HIA uh, build contract and then the builder's got the insurance and public liability and all, all the documents so but that's something that we would work through in terms of this is the process this is how it works draw it up and these are the documents that we require to get you um to approve and often people will sign a build contract subject to finance yeah but you wouldn't go and just buy a block of land unless a you've, of done, strategy, you've yeah. done your due diligence because there's no point sitting on a block of land and paying a loan and not building and not having an income or, a, a, or if it's going to be an investment or a place to live. Uh, that can be a, a, a dangerous strategy unless you've got you know surplus funds and, and a really healthy income and it's a long-term play. Yeah, and you've got to remember the whole thing is about risk for banks. So the reason they want to make sure that it is an established building company or an established builder who's licensed is, number one, they'll know it will get built. And then when they do it in stages, number two, if something happens or something goes down halfway through the build, they haven't lent all the money to you and you've spent half of it at the casino. Usually they'll pay direct to the builder anyway, won't they? They will. They'll pay yep. directly to the builder. And then obviously they're not going to give all the money to the builder anyway because it's in stages. Uh, so if something goes down and the builder stops, well, the bank has some options. We've got an asset that the land, we've got security because of the land, for example, and then we've got half a home built that's worth something, so it's just a risk, a risk yeah, game. And we've had we've had one client where they the builder went into liquidation halfway through a job. Now the bank was was really good; they had to get another builder and things, but it delayed the project the project six or seven months. So effectively, the client was out of pocket, you know, six or seven months of interest repayments on half their loan. Didn't have that place to live in; they were paying extra rent as well. So it's really important that you know you do your due diligence in terms of when you're choosing a choosing a builder. Mm. There's a question here from Gabby. What are some books you'd recommend for someone who's just starting to educate themselves on saving, investing, and money and all that? Well, if you go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click articles, 
you'll see there I've got the Glenn James book recommendation. So there's a heap of books that I've read that I think are really powerful and I would encourage anyone else to read them. So if you want some book recommendations, they are on there. Have there been any book that you've read in your time, Sean, around money mindset, investing, any ones that stand out? Um, when I read books, I generally read um, autobiographies or like people's stories. Sure. I personally have always had individuals that have been mentors, generally older than myself. They've been either in business or they've invested in property and I've learned from some of their pitfalls and that, as, as well as some of my, my own. As When you're a property investor, you don't always get it right. Yeah. And you look back and go, geez, why did I do that? But I've got someone that I can sort of speak to and say, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of purchasing. I'm not a property expert. So, for example, John is someone that I lean on yeah. for the property advice. And when I talk to my clients, I don't pretend to be a property expert. I've mm. got my own personal opinions and, and, view and, and view and things like that, but I don't try and – I try and stay in my lane. My lane is I'll structure your finance. I'll get you the right product. But in terms of property, you need to be able to speak to someone. So a podcast is great. Some of these education packs, I know John's the Solvair, the wealth, yeah, you know, the, the property the course. The course, something like that ongoing. But mm. to be honest with you, I, I read the, the Fin Review uh, to keep up, up to date with what's hap- happening in the, in the property market. There's a lot of online publications in the mortgage broking in our industry to stay on top of things. But in terms of... For example, I haven't read Barefoot Investor. I know my clients who have because they've got about 27 ING accounts set up <laughs> <laughs> and buckets. But that, that's uh, obviously something that resonates really well with people and that as well and, and a good plan. But everyone's got their own different different views. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear some different theories that, that may work for some. Some I'll totally disagree with. So it's such a personal yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I find like – because when I do my spending plan – I think at the start of the course, because I think it's about 12 videos, because it's not just a budget. It's like we've got to change the mindset and the behaviors behind how we manage money. My whole thing is my way is not the way. It's a way that works for me and for other people. But if it doesn't work for you, that's cool. You've just got to find your a way. (laughs) (laughs) And it sounds really bad, but you've got to find a way that works for you. I, I agree. And own it. Yeah. And if that means having 27,000 ING accounts, mm. knock yourself out. Absolutely. Yep. And the other, the other thing that's important is when you've got a partner as well, that becomes more complicated because if it's buying a house, investing, whatever you do, the process is more complicated when there's, because you've got to have some compromises sometimes because you'll have different ideals, different views. Sometimes you'll be completely on the same page, mm. but that's where the process might take a little bit longer because you're actually going through a process with your partner to say, oh, no, I don't want to buy an investment property. I want to buy something to live in. Yeah. Well, no, no, this is – so that is the journey and that's where sitting down with someone can actually give you some real clarity rather than reading a book, actually say, well, what's your personal circumstances? I'll give you the information and the pros and cons of each one. What? You go away and talk about it. What's your fight it out. wife do for life? My wife, Annabelle, is uh, – well, she's a mum. She looks after our, our full-time daughter. Mom. She's studying uh, a master's in counselling. Oh, wow. So she's done a psych degree and... Um, she can practice on you. She's got a very complicated patient at home. 
she tells me. Yeah. So she's going to be finishing that at the end of this year. Great. Yeah, yeah. And so, for example, I like sort of investing in property. Annabelle's more concerned, obviously, about where she lives, where we're going, where our daughter's going to be going to school. Mm. There's something that's really important. So I've got to weigh up, okay, it's not just about, you know, going and investing in property and doing things. It's like, how's our lifestyle? How's this yeah, fitting? Yeah, fit it is. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I get it. So, um, and then sometimes she's like, "Sean, you just take care of that sort of yeah. stuff. I'm busy doing doing this stuff. Just yeah. uh, just keep me in the uh, in the picture." How many kids do you have? I uh, would just have the one. Oh, so, cool. So we've got Ella, who's two and a half. Great. Yep. Well, there you go. A bit of uh, inside information about Sean's life. I always like to actually dig a little bit deep. Like, yeah, we know Sean, the mortgage rogue, but what about Sean, the person? So there you go. Complex. Complex. Where did you go over the summer break? We had a great summer break, actually. I really like Melbourne in early January. You were complaining about the traffic yeah. earlier today. Jeez. But Melbourne sort of January is fantastic. So we're actually going away. We've got a friend's birthday in Byron Bay. They've, they've moved their, their family to Byron Bay. So we're going there in late uh, Feb. So we went down to the peninsula, um, yep. down to Rye Sorrento, and I've got four sisters. Wow. Uh, one lives in Zurich and one lives in the Gold Coast and two are in Adelaide and uh, my mum. So they all came over to Melbourne down to the peninsula and uh, yeah, we spent a, a week down there, which was great. Sweet. Well, what about you, Glenn? What did you do? I um, worked. <laughs> I actually didn't have a, I, I didn't, I might've had one day where I didn't pick up my laptop, Christmas wow. day, <laughs> but I, I decided that I'll work straight through and I mean, it was like, I still, as in work. Stayed up late, slept in, you know, caught up with people, barbecues and all that. But it was pretty much a staycation. And then most days just got the laptop out or the microphone out and just kept things ticking over because I'm about to go overseas for three and a half weeks. So I just wanted to, you know, sacrifice now so later I can relax. So you were doing all the work when John was sunning himself. Yeah, in Noosa. You know, yeah. running along the beach. Totally. Shirt off in Noosa. Totally, totally. So there you go, Gabby. You've just got to get encouraged, however that is. And some people are readers, some people are uh, visual learners, some people uh, like relationships. But I will say as well, like reading biographies, you can actually have a look at the underlying narrative of their life, whether it was I sacrificed really hard to win or I was very strategic in my life choices for this reason. And you can apply, I think everything we read, we can take one thing from it and apply in other areas of our life. Yeah. And I, I learn a lot from our client stories. Like I've had clients who, you know, are getting towards retirement age. And so, for example, I've had a client who one was, so didn't earn huge income. I mean, he worked at a panel beating shop. One was a receptionist, did some secretarial sort of work, PA sort of work. And the financial position they were in was astronomical. And you sort of look back and you go, well, how did you, how did your journey start? What did you do? And, and you sort of learn a lot and say, well, and these particular people, for example, they bought some property in Melbourne. Obviously, if you bought property in Melbourne, you've done well, but they just held property for a long, long period of time and they only bought a certain distance from the city. That was their personal story, but it wasn't about income. It was about their strategy was, you know, this is what we're going to do and they've set themselves up really well. Mm. And you sort of look back and you go, gee, that was... Um, and then some people will be earning huge money and then they won't setting themselves up and say, well, what's your story? So you can learn learn and get little tips from just hearing about people's stories. Totally. We've got two last questions. Toma asks, 
Can I get a parental guarantee if I'm buying a house with my partner? My parents are in a position to be guarantors. Her parents are not. Does this work? Yes, it does, because you only need one family guarantee. Practical example, Toma and his girlfriend or partner want to buy a house. We'll call it $500,000. They're both on the mortgage. They're both on the title. However, we need $100,000 as a security deposit. Yep. His parents can effectively put a $100,000 mortgage or security against their home. Correct. And him and his partner will still have a $500,000 mortgage. Correct. So, we don't, just because it's two different partners, we, as a parental guarantee, we don't need all parents involved. That's exactly right. So depending on the parent circumstances, so they have you have to go through a few checks and balances to make sure they're suitable guarantors. That's the way that, so uh, was it Tom? Or Toma. Toma. I don't know if it was a yeah, typo. Toma, Toma and his partner go, go on as borrowers and I think it's him, his yep. parents will yep. go on as guarantors. Yeah, but you would never have two parents, two family guarantees, only one. Yep. Just a question, you know, the word parental guarantees thrown around there, is that just the street name for it or can I get my uncle to be a guarantee? Is it just, like, what's the bank's view? It's family guarantee. That's family. what I call it. And it's yep. generally, you know, I've never done uncles or aunties, but you can do brothers and sisters. So it's more, But you know, would it be discretionary to the bank? I think it's generally, I think that would be sort of a once removed sort of family, if yeah. uncle and I think it's more... Brother, sister, mum and dad. I could be wrong, yeah, but I've okay. never, I've never been asked, and I've never done one. But you'd want to be, you'd be a general uncle and auntie, wouldn't it? Mm. <laughs> um, excuse, excuse me, um, excuse me, Uncle Harry. Can I um, <laughs> yeah. just got, a, just got a question? Can you be a, my family guarantor? But, but it's gen- generally your parents are the most, na- uh, uh, or uh, nan and pop, or. I've never had one yeah. like that. And that's a little bit – it gets a little bit more difficult as you get into retirement age and yeah, things like that. Yeah, because they're going to have to have yeah. their own exit strategies and whatnot. Co- correct. Mm. Last question. We're in Melbourne. We're looking at the Beautiful city. Day. So, we're in South Melbourne. I can see – what buildings have we got over there? We've got the Mercedes building, ANZ. What's the big one, the tallest one getting built? Uh, I'm not sure what that's going to be called next okay. to the um, uh, Eureka. Yeah, it's a big building though, isn't it? It is. So we're in South Melbourne. So what's just in terms of your own non-professional anecdotal view? You know, within ten kilometres of here, what's the this little market doing? Or where a lot of your clients buying at the moment? Just give some street smack, some street talk. Okay, some street talk. So interestingly, because January for us, and it's late January now, gives us a real feel for people's interest levels in the property market and, and our inquiries and we're the first point of call before someone buys they get their finance sorted where they go to the bank or a mortgage broker this is our busiest january we've had since i've started as a, since i've been working as a mortgage broker now that generally tells you that people want to get it back into the market there's a bit more positive sentiment in the market and some investors who have been pretty dormant in melbourne and, and, and sydney some of the capitals, because the lending's been a bit harder and the, you know, the property market hasn't been quite as positive, the outlook are, are starting to jump back in. So that's going to see mm. a fair bit of competition. 
there's a lot more buyers than sellers at the moment because of the time of year, but also because people want to jump back into the market. So what we're starting to see is some, some steady growth in Melbourne in the back half of last year. And there's so many, I'm not a property expert, as I just said before, but I would expect just because of the, the interest levels that, the, that there'll be a, a little bit of a spike in the, that's my prediction in the property market. And I think it'll be quite a big spike in the first six or seven months. All right. So we've got one last question. I know that was going to be the last, but I'm going to film you answering this. It's for Instagram. Is it best to buy as soon as you have a 10% deposit or wait until you have 20%? That's a, that's a that's a that's a good question. I would do or, the numbers. <laughs> yeah, depending on your circumstances, you want to be able to reduce the costs, so mortgage insurance and things like that as much as possible. But I would say what's the harm of getting yourself pre-approved? A pre-approval is not a loan agreement. It simply puts you in a position to say if you see the property that's right for you, you can go and purchase that now. Mm. Put yourself into a position yeah, and then make the decision up. Yeah, and a lot of these things, it's like we get caught up with these mental loops of decisions without any data. So let's put some data on the table that will help us actually make a decision. If I was Nostradamus in that question yeah, and the property market was going to go up. So oh, all day long, yeah. So, for example... How long is it going to take you to save that extra 10% deposit? If the market moves and you're buying a property for 600 and the, that property is suddenly 650 and the mortgage insurance is going to cost you $7,000, then you're better off entering the market now. Now, having said that, if the market goes down, so I'm not Nostradamus, but generally you work conservatively that the property market's going to move at 2 or 3%. And then you'd factor in some so, numbers around It's so there. different, Sean, because if it's a property that I want to live in and raise a family and get this row on the showed, like, yeah, <laughs> let's buy it. Because like, if we're not moving for 10 years and we're raising our family, does it really matter if the price dips a little bit in the next couple of years? Because we're in the market anyway. Yeah, that's true. Because we don't need to sell it. So, what does it matter what it's worth in the next two to three years. Just, just to get, get yourself in that market. Yeah, it's a paint, lifestyle, paint life, wall, lifestyle, lifestyle play. choice. Yeah. Yep. So again, every situation is different. That's why you need a good mortgage broker. You can go to wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash M3. And Sean will be happy to have a chat with you. You've got clients in Brisbane, Radelaide, Sydney, Melbourne. Melbourne. How many clients in Melbourne? Got a couple. <laughs> Most. <laughs> Most. Uh, but... Yeah, you're happy to help. And thank you so much for supporting my millennial property. It's a pleasure. Thank you for your time today, Sean. Thank you, Glenn. See you, mate. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.